Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. Hello, everybody. Today's topic is Drag Haters and Lawmakers, Tennessee's Time Warp. Tennessee is the first state this year to outlaw drag shows in a prurient interest. Have they moved through a time warp? We're going to talk about that. The lawmakers in the state of Tennessee have created premier legislation banning adult cabaret entertainment on public property or in locations where minors can view it. This includes people who perform as male or female impersonators, called a drag show. The lawmakers in the state of Tennessee have created premier legislation. They are banning adult cabaret entertainment on public property or in locations where minors can view it. This includes people who perform as male or female impersonators, called a drag show. Has Tennessee fallen into a time warp? Before we move along, let's discuss what drag is and isn't. The Oxford English Dictionary notes the word drag has been around possibly since 1388. In the 19th century, drag became a slang term for performing in clothes or a persona opposite of a person's gender. In the late 1800s, males performed female roles in theater. True to the times, the men wore petticoats, which drugged the floor. They were putting on their drags, the performers called it. By the time the Roaring Twenties burst into our culture, the GLBT community used drag as a secret code, since you could be arrested for being GLBT, or suspected. Drag queens are female impersonators. Drag kings are women performing as males. And if you ask, few have lower titles in the monarchy. And we fast forward to Tennessee. Tennessee, according to theculturetrip.com, is known for spicy chicken because a vengeful girlfriend's plan to serve womanizer and hot chicken lover Thornton Prince a bird so hot it would upset his tummy. Country music, which examines the pitfalls of cheating, drinking, and old-time living. Tennessee is called the Buckle of the Bible Belt due to it being number one in the country for megachurches per capita. Whiskey distilleries, numbers close to 30 in the state. And we have the Titan football team in Nashville. And don't forget the Goo Goo Cluster and Moon Pie originated in Tennessee. Spicy Chicken, Mega Church, Whiskey Titan, Goo Goo Cluster, Moon Pie. Those are all great names for a drag queen or king, in case you younger performers are seeking a moniker. And it is young people that Tennessee Republican Governor Bill Lee says he is trying to protect by making Tennessee the first state to sign into law restricting drag shows and performers. 
one of the bill's Republican lead sponsors, Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson, tweeted, The bill gives confidence to parents that they can take their kids to a public or private show and will not be blindsided by sexualized performances. The bill states a first offense for a violation is a Class A misdemeanor. Another good drag queen name, misdemeanor. Anyway, a second or subsequent such offense is a Class E felony. Okay, so let's look at the language of the bill. It reads, An act to amend Tennessee Code, Title Seven, Chapter 51, Part 14, relative to adult-oriented performances. Adult cabaret performance means a performance in a location other than an adult cabaret that features topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male or female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to a prurient interest, or similar entertainers, regardless of whether or not performed for consideration. It is an offense for a person to engage in an adult cabaret performance on public property, or in a location where the adult cabaret performance could be viewed by a person who is not an adult. Merriam-Webster's defines pruent as, quote, having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters, end quote. Note to self, note to others, if any of you ever see a child in an adult cabaret, please call the police. A fully clothed man in a wig and makeup could blindside that tot with a sexualized performance. Not all lawmakers are happy with this legislation. Some see it as discrimination against drag shows, therefore the GLBT community. Regina Lambert Hillman, a law professor at the University of Memphis, was quoted by NBC News as saying the bill's language is intentionally vague and the law's purpose is to put people on notice this is more like you've got a law looking for a problem instead of a problem looking for a law. It's likely the lawmakers will later enjoy a Titans football game where the team cheerleaders dressed in crop tops and shorty shorts will shake their groove thing to cheer the boys on. Women in similar attire will walk the tourist hub of Broadway while music about cheating and alcohol enticements pour out of the local bars. Plenty of kids walk this row with their very concerned parents. But I digress. That's entertainment. Now we're going back to the 17th century. Meet the most notorious female resident of the criminal element. Mary Frith, who dressed as a man and offended all of London, England. And was arrested multiple times for performing as a male before drag was formally introduced. Mary Frith was born around 1584 to a cobbler and his wife. Not much is known about her because rumor and innuendo and law has just muddled the truth. Hmm. Woodcutting show a short-haired woman in a large floppy hat with band and a flower sticking up out of the band, fancy tight-fitting jacket, flowing breeches to the knees with white stockings and several bows. She smokes a long, thin pipe. Her pointed shoes are adorned with flowers. She is wearing traditional men's clothing. 
Mary had a paternal uncle, a minister, and Mary must have been a bad girl, cross-dressing early, maybe, because to reform this unruly female, the minister uncle tricked her to board a ship bound for New England. We're going to go watch a wrestling show, he told her. Just prior to sailing, Mary tossed herself overboard. It would be her last interaction with the uncle. She was also called Mary Maul, or Mary Cutpurse. Maul was a term used for bad girls in the 16th through 17th centuries. We saw it resurface in the United States as Roaring Twenties to describe female accomplices to male criminals. Cut purse is an illegal act of slicing the purse strings of an unsuspecting victim and running off with this carry-all. At the time, men's bags were also called purses. Mary was notorious, a part of the underworld, but what really made her a baddie was her actions in public. Mary Frith wore a double, a man's jacket, and male attire. She loved smoking a pipe, and she said naughty words like damn and hell. <gasps> Existing records tell us she had four burn marks on her hand, which was punishment for theft. And by the way, this is why we raise our right hand in legal proceedings. Mary would have been asked to raise her right hand in a court of law. There, she would have revealed the burn marks. That is a sign of past offenses and a sure sign that whatever she had been accused of, she would probably have been found guilty. Mary was a daredevil and a criminal. On a dare, she rode a trick horse from Charing Cross to Shoreditch, dressed as a man. Mary not only rode the horse, but she carried a banner and blasted a trumpet. There were a few riots in the little towns and even attacks on her life, but she made the trip and she collected the bet. She was indicted in 1600 and 1602 for stealing. On December 25, 1611, she was arrested for wearing a man's clothing and accused of being involved in prostitution. During England's Civil War, Mary reportedly robbed an important general, putting a bullet in his arm and she was sentenced to hang at Newgate Prison until bribing herself out in February 1612. She was arrested twice in 1611, doing time at Bridewell. The second charge, taken in Powell's Church, the center aisle of St. Paul's Cathedral, with her petticoat tucked up about her in the fashion of a man, listed in court records. As a penance for dressing like a man and smoking, Mary Frith was made to stand in a white sheet at St. Paul's Cross during the Sunday morning sermon. Mary carried out the punishment, dressed in men's clothing, and surrounding herself with mirrors. A sheer sign of vanity. Records have her crying huge tears and staggering in shame for her crime. Other records have her as serving this sentence very, very drunk. Mirrors were a common staple in Mary's house on the Tony Fleet Street, which was decorated with a heavy feminine touch. Mary employed three full-time maids. Mary's pets included parrots, and she raised and bred mastiffs. Every mastiff had its own bed complete with sheets and blankets, just like a person. Mary Firth was the dog's personal chef. By the 1620s, Mary Firth could afford maids and exotic pets. She was a successful fence for stolen goods and a pimp. 
she hired young women to entertain men and supplied middle-class wives with young studs. Mary reportedly demanded that young men support these wayward wives with child support, as needed. The Bishop of London interviewed Mary in January 1612. Now, given the way of interrogations at the time, it might be no wonder that Mary confessed, according to writer Esther Fern's article in Britannica. Fern writes that Mary confessed to flaunting her male attire, blaspheming and swearing, being a drunkard, and keeping lewd and dissolute company, including cut purses. Her interrogators pressed her to admit to being a prostitute and to encouraging other women into the same profession, but she denied both charges. Mary's confession was printed in the Consistory of London Correctional Book. In other records, she is noted as a snitch, moving between the law and the underworld, providing information to both. Her cross-dressing was sexually riotous and uncontrolled, according to the 1600s English standards. Mary was even hospitalized for insanity in dreaded Bethlehem Hospital. Those records show her release on June 21, 1644. She was dubbed the first female smoker of England, but fearful of being called a spinster, so she married in March 1614. Evidence shows that the whole thing was contracted to give Frith a counter when suits against her referred to her as a spinster. She used her new last name to escape justice, or she claimed she was a married woman, so she could have never committed the crimes they accused her. Two plays were written about Mary Frith. She was pegged as scandalous, improper man-hating woman, constantly focusing on her penchant for dressing in men's attire. A male actor played her part. Women were banned from the theater. Still, Mary herself was the star of at least one show. In 1611, she performed in drag at the Fortune Theater on the northern edge of London. Mary played what was called an afterpiece. She joked with the audience, she sang, and she played the lute. And she was vilified for performing in public, abnormal for a woman in this century. Thus, she was arrested per tribunal records because she played upon her lute and sang a song, making some other immodest speeches, while dressed like a man. She served a few months in Bridwell Correctional House for that one, and afterpieces were banned from all shows altogether. Mary died from a case of edema in July 1659 on London's Fleet Street. Edema was called dropsy then, and the Newgate calendar wrote, Maul, being grown crazy in her body and discontented in mind, she yielded to the next distemper that approached her, which was the dropsy, a disease which had such strange and terrible symptoms that she thought she was possessed and that the devil had got within her double. Mary's niece executed Mary's will per her aunt's wishes including Mary's wishes of being interned in St. Bride's Cemetery on Fleet Street. Mary was buried among the wealthiest of London, also per her wishes, and some extra cash. Her headstone stood until the 1666 Great Fire of London. In his 1939 book on Mary Frith, author A. Dawson writes, Frith enjoyed the attention she drew as her theatrical ways were intended to cause a scene and make others uncomfortable. 
Perhaps she was a woman who just refused to bend to moral and legal codes. Maybe she felt comfortable as a man. Or it may have been for practical purposes. A woman dancing, singing, and dressing like a man was quite the consumer's distraction while her pickpocketing gang took advantage. Prostitutes often cross-dressed to escape the eyes of the beat cops. Writer Esther Fern explains how women cross-dressed to visit or elope with their lovers. Frith's style made her an object of suspicion. Mary Frith constantly broke the law by dressing as the opposite gender and dancing and singing, entertaining the public. In the 1600s, 423 years ago, Tennessee lawmakers might have actually been time-warped. Hey everybody, I'm Judith A. Yates, true crime author, criminologist, and I support PFLAG. That's Parents, Families, and Friends of LGBTQ, also known as PFLAG. The PFLAG chapter network provides confidential peer support, education, and advocacy to LGBTQ and people, their parents, and families, and allies. PFLAG chapters are in communities in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. PFLAG has been saving lives, strengthening families, and changing laws since its founding in 1973. PFLAG is the first and largest organization dedicated to supporting, educating, and advocating for LGBTQ and their families. PFLAG works to create a caring, just, and affirming world for LGBTQ and those who love them. You can learn more about PFLAG at www.pflag.org. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.